listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. You're going to grab a seat. Man, it's good to be with y'all. My wife and I got to go uh, to Israel, we went with her company, and spent about uh, 12 days there. It was an awesome time, and, but definitely missed you guys. But something I was reminded of while we were there, with all these amazing, beautiful sights, really, is it's, it's a life-changing trip. But, but something I was reminded of over and over again is just a gratefulness for the Holy Spirit, that we don't have to go to a place on the other side of the world and like find an old rock where perhaps uh, the cross of Christ was put in the ground, which like a, maybe that really is where it happened, but we don't have to go there to experience God. Like we can experience God right here, amen? Because the Holy Spirit is here and he resides within us. Like the scripture says that we're now the temple of the Lord, right? The Holy Spirit lives in us. With that in mind, I want us to take a moment. I know we just prayed, but you can't pray too much. I want us to take a moment um, to kind of group up, partner up, uh, if you're by yourself, or if you see someone by, by themselves, I'd love for you to invite them to be part of your group for just a minute. But I would love for us to just take like two to three minutes, share some prayer requests. It could be quick. Don't, don't share your life story here, but share a prayer request and then pray. Because the Lord is here this morning. Like sometimes we need to remember that, right? Like we're not just coming to church and going through the motions. The Lord is here. We get to meet with him and he hears our prayers. Here's our request. So I'm going to give you a minute right now. Group up, share some prayers, pray, ready, set. You got this. Go for it. God, we love you. Thank you so much that you love us, Lord. Thank you that no matter where we are as believers and dwelt by the Holy Spirit, that no matter where we are at, no matter what day it is, you hear our prayers, that we get to commune with you. We get to walk with you, have relationship with you. Lord, I pray that what we do this morning as we, as we study, as we dig into Scripture, as we even sing some more after the message, that what we do would impact the rest of our week, Lord. That it would impact the rest of our life. That we would be more like you, have a desire to be more like you, and that we would have a little better grasp of, of your, not only your love for us, but God, also your, your purpose for us and your kingdom. Okay, we look forward to what you're going to do this morning. So let me pray. Amen. And thank you all for doing that. If you have your Bible, uh, can, we're going to be continuing in James this morning. James chapter 3. Y'all made some good headway while I was gone. We knocked out chapter 2. And we are jumping into chapter 3. We're going to start in, excuse me, start in verse 1. Chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 of the book of James. A church our size, um, we have often a lot of people in the hospital. It's pretty common that uh, every single day we've got anywhere from, from three to six, uh, sometimes even seven folks in the hospital. And I, I would say the most frustrated that I see people, that we as a staff see people when they're in the hospital, the most frustrated situation that they get in is when they're not sure what's going on. Like even if you've got somebody that's been in the hospital for a solid month, if they know what the problem is, the doctors have given them the diagnosis, it, it kind of calms them down, down a little bit. They can have a strategy to overcome whatever their sickness is. But when you're sitting in the hospital and you've been there for a week and you have no idea what the problem is, it's very terribly frustrating. I think 
to use that as a metaphor spiritually, we know that as we've been studying through James, we're supposed to live a life that brings delight to the heart of God, that brings joy to our heavenly Father. Not so he'll love us. No, because he loves us, and we now have a transformed life, the Holy Spirit lives in us and is changing us, we should desire to live a life that pleases him, that brings joy to him. But so often, we find ourselves, like spiritually speaking, like sitting in a hospital bed, not sure what our problem is. Like, like spiritually sick, not growing, not flourishing like we know we should. What's cool about James 3 is it's almost as if James plays doctor for a minute and he pulls the bedside stool up and he comes up beside the bed and he's like, all right, here's what you need to know about what's going on. Here's, here's where a lot of the sickness, a lot of the problem is coming from. And here's the reality. This is the problem every single one of us. And remember, he's talking to Christians. He's talking to believers. So for every single believer, this is something that we're going to struggle with. This is something that causes some spiritual sickness in our lives. He says, at all, it's right here. (laughs) As Pastor David said, this isn't a sermon on the mount, it's a sermon on the mouth. Get it? (laughs) Problem is right here. He kind of eases into it. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. So he's getting started. He said, look, the problem is with your mouth. One of the biggest struggles of your spiritual walk is with your mouth. It says, so because of that, hey, not many of you should want to be a teacher. Like the platform looks um, impressive, so to speak, but it's a dangerous place to be. And and even if you're like, well, I'm not going to be a pastor. I'm not going to be a teacher in a Sunday school class or, or in a high school, whatever. Like all of us like to play the teacher, don't we? What I mean is it's so common in our culture. We all think we have something to share and something to teach, don't we? Like if you're not sure, just get on social media everybody is word vomiting their their thoughts as a teacher, right? Everybody wants to share what they think. And James says, you better be careful because when you play teacher, you recognize you're going to receive a stricter judgment. Like when when you, on whatever platform you have, when you're saying, thus says the Lord, be careful because it's a heavy, weighty thing to say, hey, this is what God says. So like if you're ever wondering if uh, you should pray for me when I'm preaching, I would love for you to pray for me when I'm preaching. Should you pray for your Sunday school teacher while they're teaching? Absolutely. It's a heavy, weighty thing. So he says, not many of you should, should want to do that. Why? For we all stumble in many ways. So we all struggle. We're all going to sin. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. So he's saying one of the most common Ways, maybe the most common way that believers, every single one of us, trip up is right here with our words. Can I get an amen? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and now, like, even it's a little 2,000 years later, slightly different context. Like, even sometimes, you know, maybe it's the things you do with your thumbs, right? <laughs> or if you're old school, you text like this, right? <laughs> little keyboard warrior spitting out all kinds of things, saying, be careful. I was going to get into the thick of it. So he's pulled up the, the stool beside the bedside. He's kind of saying, okay, like the problem's here. 
And I was going to say, let me give you really what's going on inside your mouth. We see four things. Let me read the text, verse three. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how small, how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. What's the first thing Dr. James is telling us? Your words are powerful. Your words are powerful. And specifically in the sense that they, they give direction, they steer the course of your life. So the words that you say chart your way, so to speak. Like the things that you say, the way you use your mouth, that, that gives direction to your life. My friends, the stouts, let me borrow this horse bit. What do you, where's, where's Denise at? I saw her somewhere. There she is. What do you call this part, the rest of it? The head stall. Excellent. Okay, well, so we got the head stall and the bit here. They have a, they have a horse uh, on their property that weighs a little over 1,200 pounds. So roughly my size. I'm about the same. <laughs> 1,200 pounds. And this, this little part right here, the bit, controls that beast. They sent me a picture it, it is ginormous, if that's a word. It's not a word. It's huge, solid muscle. That massive animal is directed and steered with this in its mouth. He's saying, your words are like that. You think about your, the entirety of your life, it's, it's guided, it's given direction through the words that you say. If that doesn't register with you, he gives a second metaphor. He says, like ships, though they're very large and driven by fierce winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Sam Alberry, he wrote one of the books I've mentioned several times back in the back. Um, love for you to snag it. But he, he gives this example from more modern day. He says, one of the biggest ships in the world is the U.S. aircraft carrier, the USS Eisenhower. It weighs over 91,000 thousand tons, is nearly 1,100 feet in length, has a nuclear-powered 280,000 horsepower engine, a complement of 6,100 men and women, and carries nearly 100 aircraft. It is large. <laughs> it's like a floating city. And yet all that weight, personnel, and hardware are steered by a rudder that's just a tenth of 1% of the ship's size. Massive boat, where it goes, where it's headed, what it encounters is directed by this little bitty rudder. <laughs> so it is with your life, James says. He's sitting by your hospital bed, your spiritual hospital bed, and says, Man, maybe you've underestimated the power of your words to impact your life. That they chart your course and they impact the course of others. See, you, you, gossip, excuse me, you gossip about other people, 
you'll find yourself that you've charted a course where you don't have any friends. You, you become an encourager. You're, you'll, with your words, you'll find that you've charted a course where you're getting encouragement from other people. You, you chart a course with your mouth where you're always saying hateful, discouraging, mean things. You will find yourself on a course surrounded by hateful, discouraging, mean people. You, you, find, you, you uh, use your words to play the victim. Oh man, it's just, you wouldn't understand my life. It's the words. You don't know what I've gone through. You're right. We don't know what you've gone through. But you always play the victim with your words. You, you'll find yourself on a victim course. You, you choose to remember with your words and tell yourself and tell other people about the hope and the victory that you have in Jesus, you'll find yourself on a course of a victor. The words you say chart your way. And I think part of what he's implying too about our words and how they give direction, that they help steer the lives of other people. The words that you say have tremendous or terrible impact on those around you. I was talking with one of my mentors and he was saying, he was talking about the power of words particularly as a parent. It's not a parenting sermon, but a little nugget here. And he, said he, he says he works with a guy, used to work with a guy who was terribly insecure, like always second guessing himself, always being hard on himself. They said they got to, uh, to do a wedding together, to perform a wedding together. I've done, like, I've done that before where you, two pastors kind of tag team the wedding. Um, and he said, after the wedding, Brian, my, my, one of my mentors, uh, his dad came up to him and said, Brian, man, great job. Fist bumped him. Great job. Killed it, son. This other guy who, who he performed the wedding with, his dad came up to him and said, well, I guess you didn't do too bad. Good luck. Good, uh, good thing Brian was there to save you, get you out of a tough situation. Man, I guess you made it through. Brian said, oh, he told me, no, no wonder my friend is always struggling with insecurity and doubting himself because his dad has spoken that over his life forever. We were sitting down um, dinner with our friends, uh, Marty and Shanda, and they were, Lauren and I were getting to know them a little bit and asking us our story and how we met. And it wasn't really about how we met, but around the time that we met, Lauren was sharing about how um, right before we met, she had gotten declined for an internship at the White House. And she was telling Shanda that like, she was just so devastated. Like how, she, she actually tried to call the White House and like thought maybe they got something wrong. Like, like surely you guys didn't, you didn't reject me, right? And, and Shanda was asking Lauren like, where did, that, where did that kind of confidence come from? Like at the time when you were probably what, 21-ish, 20 and 21. And Shanda was asking like, man, like, for so many young people, particularly young women, like, they don't have that kind of confidence at that age to just assume that, of course, like, I'm going to dominate this and do great in this. And Lauren thought about it. And she said, I think it just came from my mom and dad. Like, my mom and dad always believed in me and told me I could do anything. Or, like, one time she was training to be on the uh, Olympic basketball team. That didn't work out. <laughs> so I'm, I'm worse than her at basketball, so it's okay. But the point is that they encouraged her and spoke life over her. And that charted the course that she's on. Parents, students, friends, your words are powerful. Could the problem with your life be that you've neglected the power of your words? And maybe more importantly, where are your words that you're choosing to stay? Excuse me, excuse, yeah, <laughs> choosing to say, where are they steering your life? 
Where are the words that you're, you're saying to others? Where are they steering the lives of others? Your words are powerful. And, and notice, uh, he kind of starts to transition to his next point at the end of verse five, he says, or in verse five, he says, uh, it, grows, it boasts great things, the tongue. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. So like, think about, it's always good to play with matches in church. <laughs> like one little, one little match, one little flame could burn down this entire place. <laughs> Don't worry, Jack. <laughs> We've been wanting to remodel the venue anyway, so it's time. <laughs> One little flame could burn down everything. Consider how a small little fire sets ablaze a large forest. James is moving to his second point. It's this. Your words have a bent towards destruction. Your words have a bent toward destruction. Look what he says in verse six. And the tongue is a fire, speaking of destruction. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. It's a really encouraging sermon this morning for you, right? Again, Dr. James is pulled up beside us and says, part of the problem is your tongue, your, your words, they're, they're bent toward destruction. He says, it's a fire. It, it likes just to consume everything it, it touches. It's a world of unrighteousness. What, what that means is your words, your tongue is full of the attitudes, the values, the beliefs, the habits that are directly opposed to God. So it's, it's a world of unrighteousness. So it's not like, oh, my, my words, like they're cute and cuddly and they pursue the Lord. No, our words that left to their own, they always veer towards, they always run towards the things that are opposed to God. It's, it's, it's evil. He it says it's, it stains the whole body. So it, it tends to, bring sin and a spiritual darkness to, to everything we do. It sets the course of life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. That, I love that imagery. It's so clear that James gives it. It sets the course of life on fire. So, so everywhere you go and in everything you do and every conversation, every relationship and every endeavor, your words are wanting to bring destruction. Why? Because it's set on fire, it says, by hell itself. And Satan's desire is to what? Three things, help me out. To steal, to kill, and destroy. And he's put a match to your tongue and says, go get him, tiger. <laughs> Words are bent on destruction. They set the course of life on fire. And there's a reason when the preteen or middle school, I love you guys, but there's a reason when you guys go to the corn maze, we don't pump you full of Dr. Pepper and then hand you torches, right? Like, <laughs> burn the place down. <laughs> yeah, your, your words, that's it's kind of what happens. How many, <clears throat> how many marriages, how many friendships, how many jobs, how many churches, 
How many dreams and visions have been burnt down by the words that you've said? Satan wanting to use your words to bring death, destruction, to, to, to steal, the good, steal away the good things God is working in you. How often does Satan want to steal those through the words that you say or that someone else says? Your, your words have a bent toward destruction. You know, if that wasn't bad enough, <laughs> he keeps going. He says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Here's the third point James, Dr. James tells us. Your words are untamable. Your words are untamable. So humans have tamed lig- excuse me, lions, tigers, and bears. Oh my. <laughs> Tame killer whales. Literally, you can go to SeaWorld and see some killer whales that have been tamed. Dolphins, elephants. But he's saying no one can tame the tongue. No one can tame their words. About the time you think, I've got my words under control, like I can let them off the leash. Eh, wrong. They're always going to run amok. They're always going to run towards destruction. They're untamable. They're like a two-year-old in a china shop. It says, it says they're a restless evil. Think about a two-year-old in a china shop. Like, don't touch that. Please stop. Please stop. Come here. Like, put your hands in your pocket. Stop it. Don't do that, right? That's what we have to do with our tongues. They're, our words are untamable. They're always seeking to, to, to make a, a mess of things. They're untamable. A restless evil, he says, full of deadly poison. Your words with their bent toward destruction, they're untamable and they, and they want to bring harm. So the things you say, like when, you, when you're being a jerk to someone, when you're speaking lies over someone, when you're, when you're using your words for your kingdom rather than God's kingdom, it's not cute, it's not cuddly, it's not funny. No, you're bringing evil and, and deadly poison to the situation. It's not funny. When, when you're telling like terrible, ungodly, dirty jokes, it's not funny. It's a deadly poison. Words are powerful. They have a bent toward destruction. They're untamable. And I think verse nine gives us kind of an example of, of how evil and untamable they are. He says, with verse nine, with the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Man, that's, that is hard. James is, Dr. James is telling us, hey, part of the problem is with your tongue and it being evil and untamable is that you go to church and you worship. Worthy, 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 or whatever song you want to pick, right? And then you walk out and with those, that same mouth, then you are a jerk to other people or you, or you wish despair on someone else or you gossip about someone else. You curse someone else evil. It's messed up. He says in verse 10, blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does the spring pour out sweet 
and bitter water from the same opening? And the answer is no. Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters? Or a grapevine produce figs? And the answer is no. Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. He's saying, so why is it that way with you? Why is it that way with us? Like, again, he's, imagine Dr. James up by the hospital bed, like, this is part of your problem, part of our problem, that we want to use our mouth for the kingdom of God, but then we also turn around in the same breath, use it for destruction for the purposes of, of ourself, which is really when we're being selfish, just the purposes of the evil one. He's saying, this, this should not be. But you know what else he's saying by, by saying this shouldn't be? He's also pointing out, that your words come from where? Your heart. Here's the fourth point. We'll, we'll finish here. Here's the fourth point. Your words reveal what's inside, which is maybe the biggest problem, or the, the biggest thing, I should say. Your words reveal what's inside. See, when... If what you thought was a grapevine produces figs, well, then it turns out maybe that grapevine was actually a fig vine, if that's a word, I don't know. But because it's producing figs. You find a, what you thought was a, a source of salt water, but you've got fresh water coming out, then apparently it was actually a freshwater spring. As one old preacher said, what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. <laughs> what's here comes out of your mouth. And you know, James' older brother, Jesus, had something to say about this. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it quickly for you. But in Matthew 15, Jesus says, in verse 11, he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes up out of the mouth that defiles a person. He's talking about our words. And in verse 18, he says, what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart, and this defiles a person. So see, James is saying, yeah, the problem, yes, problem is with our mouth. It's powerful, has a bent toward destruction, it's untamable. But the, the bigger problem is when your mouth is sick, even as a believer, when your mouth is sick, it reveals a deeper problem that your heart is sick. See, if you want to put the stethoscope, uh, you want to use the stethoscope to see how your heart is doing spiritually, he's saying you put it where? Put it on your mouth. You can't see the inner workings of your heart, but you can hear them. You know how? Listen to the words of your mouth. You want to see how you're doing spiritually? Watch the things that you say because your words reveal what's inside. What's our problem for a lot of us? <laughs> We've forgotten our words are powerful. We've forgotten they have a bent toward destruction, that they're untamable, and that they reveal a larger problem of spiritual sickness on the inside. And remember, 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 James is talking to believers here. It's not just all oh, those people out there that need to get together. No, he's talking to Christians that we struggle to, that we find ourselves spiritually sick often, not living the life God desires us to live, not living out our faith because of our mouths. I want to say this. <laughs> to go back to that imagery I gave you at the beginning of 
you're on the hospital, spiritual hospital bed, and Dr. James pulls up beside you. If we just stopped here, like, it, it kind of feels like James is like, well, yep, that's your sickness, and uh, better luck next year, buddy. <laughs> like, it kind of feels like that, right? Like, man, you're a mess, and uh, the nurses will see you on the way out and just sign the papers, and uh, good luck, right? Like, th- that's not what he's doing. He's making us aware of the problem, but he's also Im- implying a, a response. He's not just saying, well, thanks to be you. No, th- there's something we're to do in light of this massive problem in our mouths. Like we're, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. He's transforming us. So, so what are we to do? I remember in, I think I was in uh, seventh or eighth grade, and we, uh, my dad was a pastor at the church, one of the pastors, and so we lived really close to the church. And there was a girl in the youth group who uh, was in charge of cleaning the church gym. It was a smaller church. She, 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 excuse me, she cleaned the church gym. But this girl, Sabrina, all of the guys in the youth group, we all thought she was super cute, okay? So I'm in middle school. She's, I was in like the seventh or eighth grade. I think she was probably in ninth or 10th grade. And we thought Sabrina was super cute. Well, I'm at the house on, I think, a Saturday, and Sabrina shows up at the house and knocks on the door real hard. She's like, Brandon, I need your help. And of course, I'm like, what can I do for you, <laughs> right? She says, there is a bat in the church gym. Which, if you know me, that's not my lane, bro. <laughs> like, nah, nah, nah. But because I thought she was cute, I was like, I can handle that. I get my pellet gun. So I go to my room, I get my pellet gun. It's the kind that you, psst, 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 you know I'm talking about? You have to pump up. So I'm like, how big is this bat? Oh, you need 10 pumps? Okay. Psst, 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 to pump it all the way up to full power, right? Full power, air, air power mode. Walk over to the church gym. Sure enough, there's a bat sitting on this wall. Now, the, our church gym was multifunctional purpose, and so uh, the walls, super hard. Anyways, there was carpet on the walls, not because we were 70s, but because there was just carpet on the walls because it transformed into classrooms. Anyways, it's carpet on the walls. The bat is on the carpet on the wall. Well, I get, from your, to make it easy for you to see, probably from, from me to the drum cage, because I don't trust my aim, I take this fully pumped up pellet gun, Check this out, Sabrina, right? Shoot the bat, and next thing you know, I'm on the ground screaming because I think the bat is attacking my face. So whatever, like, whatever status I thought I gained with Sabrina, immediately lost, right? Like, it is over. It is, it is gone. And, uh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And she comes over. She's like, what are you doing? Like, the bat is on my face. She's like, no, it's not. The bat is laying on the ground, what happened was, when I shot, I was so close and I had it pumped up so hard that the pellet hit the bat, hit the carpet, wing wall, and the pellet came back and hit me in the face. <laughs> so yeah, like, just a complete loser, right? So there's no recovery. Uh, see you later, Sabrina. Never gonna date you, right? <laughs> like, it's over. Why did I tell you that true but ridiculous story? How often... Do we say things that end up hurting us or hurting other people because we're trying to impress somebody? I I would say probably particularly like students, this is a a trap for us. Like you're trying to look cool in front of your friends and so you're saying things that in reality are just harmful to them and to yourself, but you're trying to impress them. Or I want to point this out too, to go back to me shooting the, the pellet gun at the wall. Almost never... Are you going to say something that you shouldn't say 
and it not come back and hurt you. We often think, man, I'm about to let them have it. You're pumping up your words. You're about to let it go. And almost every time, those words end up coming back and damaging you. I think the, the implicit, obvious thing, James, is one of the things he's telling us is, your words are powerful, so be purposeful. So you don't, you don't have to like pump up your words. No, they're just naturally, the way God has wired us, they're powerful, so you better be purposeful. You better watch where you're aiming because you're gonna hurt other people and you're gonna hurt yourself. Be careful, be intentional, be purposeful. Your words are powerful, so be purposeful. Another thing, I think the most maybe obvious and important thing, James, like the application here is, ask God for help. What did he say, verse eight? No one can tame the tongue. So you meet somebody who's like, yeah, man, I feel like I've just really got my words under wrap. I really never say things I shouldn't. Wrong. No one can tame the tongue. You need the help of the Lord. How many of our lives and the course of our life would look different if if daily a prayer was, God, would you help me with the words I say? You could pray the words of, of Psalm 19, 14, where the psalmist says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Again, notice the connection. The words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, because what's down in the well comes up in the bucket, right? What your heart is meditating on will come out through your mouth. God, would you help my, the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, Lord, would you make it pleasing to you? Would it be acceptable to you? And I love another prayer, if you want to write the, the, the citation down, Psalm 141.3 says, 141.3 says, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. Uh, the Brandon Hayes translation is like, God, would you be the bouncer of my mouth? Like, would you stand at, the, at my mouth and just don't let anything come out that's not supposed to? Because there's always words trying to get out that don't have any business getting out. Or would you be the bouncer of my, of my mouth? Would you keep watch? Would you, would you guard it? Ask God for help. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 